My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you guys are with us this morning. Hello to those of you online. Uh, Dave, I think I clicked all the buttons right. So if you can hear me, then don't text me. That's awesome. Uh, all right, so good morning to Amy Velosen, Tim Archer, and Josh Landers, and your families, because I think you guys are all watching as well. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 14 today, starting the second half of Mark chapter 14. Uh, and there are some heavy questions that can come out of today's text. So if you have them, raise them, we'll wrestle with them, and maybe come to some resolution uh, next Sunday on a few of those. Uh, but we'll start with what we do each week. Uh, asking our question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark uh, we're studying so far? What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Julie's not about to move her hand this week, so... <laughs> Did Dave text you? Oh, okay. I thought he might. Have. I keep coming back to this uh, when Jesus foretells Peter's denial, he's arguing so much and contrasting that with 24 hours, less than 24 hours earlier. Jesus had foretold, You're going to go into the city and see this, this, and yeah. this. So I'll, I'll reframe for the folks online the, uh, the reality that it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself when you see the disciple, like the apostles, uh, struggle with things as simple as just obedience. And I, I would argue that's probably the theme of today's text as well. Um, I mean, if you... you <laughs> I hope this isn't belittling too bad. If you could replace the, the inner circle today with uh, three poorly behaved pets and, and you kind of get the same output, right? It's, it's not that far off. So, um, yeah, I love that we have relatable people in the Bible. Um, I, heard a, I heard a skeptic of the Bible say one time that the, the greatest thing the Bible has in it is that you trash basically every character in the Bible. Like, it's just, there's only one guy who comes out looking good. And you, he only comes out looking good from a very particular lens, <laughs> right? Um, so it's, it's a crazy thing. Good, 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 good. All right, so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Miss Nancy Miller, who gives you great hope because of his great patience with his disciples. Amen to that, right? Um, this is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And he could have pushed the smite button at any time, and yet he didn't, which was fantastic for us. So, good stuff. 
All right, let's take a moment and let's read through the second half of uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, So we'll pick up with verse 32 and read through 72. Such a long chapter. And and I want you to notice as I'm reading this morning, uh, relative to the speed that we've gone through Mark so far, how does the plot feel of the story as it is moving along? Does it feel like it picks up? Does it feel like it slows down? Does it feel like it stays the same? So be listening from a really from a literary perspective um, uh, as it relates to the plot itself. So I'll start with verse 32 in Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve, with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And he laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs, to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? 
and they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So just a quick question before we jump into verse 32. How many hours later is verse 72 than verse 32? Not very many, less, significantly less than 24, right? We, we can all agree this is significantly right. This is a handful of hours later. So I just want you to, I just want us to, to keep in our minds that from my perspective at least, the plot is moving very, very quickly because they have just experienced at the end of chapter 14 this thing that Jesus has been talking about over and over and over. The Son of Man will be delivered up. He will be captured. He will be put into the hands of the, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And th these things are going to start to take off very, very quickly. And if you focus on the imperatives that Jesus gives Peter, James, and John in verses 32 through 42 and contrast them with verses 66 through 72, it'll, it'll break your heart too. Right? But I don't want us to get stuck on the unfaithfulness of the disciples. I want us to get stuck on the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like That is actually the thing that is being contrasted here. We're going to see that as we get into verses 32 uh, and following this morning. So let's take a look. Let's start with verse 32. Uh, in the, the little section here, are there any literary or structural observations? Uh, just observe that the scene changes, right? So we've moved out of the city where they were completing the Lord's uh, Supper. Uh, they're completing the, the Passover meal, the Passover slash not Passover, the unfinished, so unresolved, right? And I, I don't know about you, but if, have you ever had a big holiday that didn't go like you expected? Because this is immediately the mindset of the disciples right now. They've just had this thing that they do exactly the same way every single year, every single year, every single year, and then Jesus just blew it all up. So this is their mindset going into verse uh, 32. So he says, and they, so how many is they now? You sure? 
more than one, yes. We think this is actually the 11 plus Jesus, right? So this would be a different 12. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Now, before we, before we kind of, I'm going to show you, uh, just as a reminder, where Gethsemane is on a map. So they're here somewhere in the city having the Passover. They head toward the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is basically at the foot of the Mount of Olives. It's the first thing you get to. This is not a very far distance. This would have taken just minutes to get from wherever they were in the city to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, do you see that it says Garden of Gethsemane here? Does it say Garden of Gethsemane in your Bibles? No, but look at your handout and look at the definition of the word Gethsemane. The first definition is what? It's oil press. You're like, oil press? Like Jiffy Lube? Like what? I don't know. No, 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 no. Like, Olive Garden, that's exactly right. You've got the wrong restaurant. Yes, this is Olive Garden. Uh, and speaking of Olive Garden, uh, this is actually what the Garden of Gethsemane looks like today. They think, sort of, maybe, possibly-ish. There's actually a great deal of argument over exactly where it is, but these particular trees have been tested, and they are uh, at least 1,000 years old, which is kind of cool. It's like really old trees. So when you picture in your mind the garden of Gethsemane, I don't want you to picture, oh, there's roses and there's lilacs and the, no, 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 there's like olive trees. That's what we've got in our head, okay? So it's not a flowers and bush and shrub, no, 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 it's like olive trees. Now, what do you do to olives to get the oil out? You press them, right? This is not accidental, right? This is where, in Luke's gospel, it talks about Jesus sweat great drops of blood, right? This hematohydrosis where his, his uh, skin capillaries, is, they, they, they burst, and he bled through his pores. Like, this is extraordinary anguish. There is pressure that is occurring here. So when we hear the term garden and we think of gardens, is there anywhere else in the Bible where a garden is mentioned? In Genesis, right? So what happens in Genesis? God creates what kind of a garden? Perfect. This is paradise. literally paradise, right? And how does Adam respond in the garden? Does he pass? Does he fail? It's an epic fail, right? I mean, this is the worst fail ever. So you may have heard Jesus referred to as the second Adam. This is because the first Adam failed his test in the garden. The second Adam passes his test in the garden. Right? Thank you, Roy Ortland for, uh, Ray Ortland for the audio clip of that. Right. So I just want you to be aware that there is more going on here just from the exact location that Jesus chose to go to. This wasn't accidental. This is on purpose as well. So not only does he know all of history and have command to pull any of it out at any given time, not only is he fulfilling all of history, he is driving the geography of where they are to help point them to what's happening and what's about to happen. If you knew you were about to be arrested, what are you going to go do? Like, legitimate question. If you know in the next two hours you're going to be arrested, 
What's on your checklist? What's that? Hide. Yes, absolutely. Where can I go where they will not find me? This is not far enough for me. <laughs> right? I mean, this is, you throw a rock. This is not far. I want, I want, like, is there a boat? Is there, can I get me in a covered, I mean, get me out of town, right? What else would you be thinking? Other than hide. Lawyer up, yes. Who can I go talk to to get ready for my defense? Right? I carry a little, a little card with me, uh, and it has the number of my lawyer. I've never called that number, which has been awesome. <laughs> Actually, I did once. Yes, I did once. Yep, not, I'm not pointing at you like I did it for you, no. Uh, speeding ticket. They went and represented me one time. It was awesome. It was fantastic. I got like way less charges because of it. It was good. It was really good, right? Uh, Hyde, lawyer, what else are you thinking? Yes, it's exactly right. Yeah, you're going to, like, hey, guys, I'm gone for a while. Would it occur to you to gather with a group of friends and pray? That, I'll be honest, guys, that is, not on my, that is not on my top 20 list. And it has exactly what Jesus does. So I don't want you to miss what he's doing when he chooses this activity. Because he is a wonderful Savior. So, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said, this is Jesus talking here to his disciples, sit. I love the ESV because I swear it sounds just like you're talking to a dog. Sit and just wait on me. This is an imperative. Sit here while I pray. Not even like we're all going to pray together. No, no, I just need y'all to practice waiting. Because there is a real sense in which the entire Christian life is just waiting. We are waiting on Christ's return. We are waiting on him to take us home. We are waiting to be with him. They are getting ready to practice the thing that they will experience the rest of their lives. So wait here while I pray. And there's nothing uh, overly special about this word uh, for pray. It shows up lots in uh, Mark's gospel. Verse 33, and he took with him Peter and James and John. Now, if he took with him Peter and James and John and told some to wait, this implies that there are some that are still waiting and Peter and James and John are going with him, right? So let's look at, um, just as a reminder, Jesus had circles that he dealt with so if you think about uh, who he engaged with, so there's all kinds of crowds and unbelievers following all over the place. This includes the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, all these folks that are trying to get him. You've got other disciples and followers that aren't named, but they're kind of referenced sometimes. And every once in a while in the Gospels, you go, wait, wait, there were more than the 12? Yes, there were a lot more than the 12. It, the scriptures talk about the 70 sometimes. So there was, there was a larger group that he specifically commissioned to go and do certain activities. And then you've got the 12 apostles. And then the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And, and I will argue that everybody that you know has some kind of system that looks like this. So if you look at this and you go, well, that's not fair. You have one too. <laughs> right? You have an inner circle that you go and you hang out with all the time. And some of you are like, and I wish I could vote someone off. No, 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 we're not talking about voting people off the island. 
But you, you have people that you choose to put in certain circles. And then there are people that just kind of show up and hang out and are on the periphery. And it's like, okay, here we are. But, but one more, one last time, he gets Peter, James, and John together. All right, so he takes with him Peter and James and John and began. And I, I will tell you, I, I take great comfort in this word began right here. Because he knew and had known for years what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen. But his distress didn't start until then. Like, <laughs> that's some serious stress management skills right there. Just serious. Um, so Peter and James and John go with him, and he began to be greatly distressed. Now, this Greek word is ekthambeo. Uh, thumbeo is actually a standalone word on its own. It means to astonish or terrify. When you put the word ek in front of it, it means uh, like without, and it kind of it blows it up a little bit. So this is just magnified, astonishing, utterly what's going on. This is blowing somebody's mind, if you will. So he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So he's in distressed in his mind here. In verse 34, and he said to them, so who's the them? Peter, James, and John, right, the immediate context. My soul is very sorrowful. Now, this word for very sorrowful only shows up one other time in Mark's gospel. It shows up in Mark 6. Mark 6, you should be like, Herod, Herod, Herod. Yes, that's exactly right. This is the word that was used to describe Herod after he realized what he had done to John the Baptist. Like, oh, I shouldn't have made that promise. This is not good. John dies because of this. Right? So this grieved all around, this intensely sad. Now, who is our model of faith and practice? Do we have one? It's Jesus, right? Yes. This is, this is it. I thought it was an easy question. You guys replied, but it's Jesus, yes. So Jesus had a time when he was greatly distressed. Jesus had a time when he was greatly troubled. Jesus had a time when he was very sorrowful. Don't beat yourself up for your emotions. Right? Your emotions are given by God. There's a way to have unhealthy and sinful responses to situations. Does it say Jesus lost his ever-loving mind and went into a panic? No. But he, this, this was bothersome, right? We forget some, I forget sometimes, that the 100% man part. 100% God, 100% man. The, the man part was about to suffer really, really badly. This is going to be sad, right? So he's very sorrowful, even to death. Uh, and this word even means until. It's not a sense of, um, I have read this wrong for a very long time. It's not a sense of, uh, it almost killed him. It was a sense of until his death. That's the way to read that particular word. So he stayed in this mindset for a few more hours, we'll say. So it's even to death. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He continues. I'm at the top of page 481 now on your handout. And he says, remain. What's another word for remain? Stay. Stay. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, so he tells the inner three the same kind of a concept that he told the eleven. 
stay here, remain. Now look at the definitions for the word remain. It is very unusual, I think, because words have, uh, there, there's a flexibility, there's a range of meaning that words have. But if you, if you look at this one, this means to remain, to abide, to stay, to await, to continue, to endure, to exist permanently in, is inseparably uh, united. There is a real sense in which each one of those definitions applies to what Jesus is asking them to do. So physically stay in this spot. Yes, abide here. Wait for me to get back. Continue in the state that you are in right now. Endure through your tiredness. And then once Jesus leaves, you're going to need to be inseparably united. It's a beautiful word that he has chosen here. And he puts it in the plural imperative. So this is this command to the group. Just wait on me. But not just sit here and do nothing. This is not a passive waiting. This is an active waiting. And this is a, this is a concept that the, uh, the Jewish concept of Sabbath helped me with uh, tremendously. It was several years ago we did a series on uh, Jesus and the Jewish holidays, and we spent a whole week just looking at the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not a time of passive rest. It is a time of active rest. You actively seek out ways to prepare for the rest and then to rest. And this is different than I think about if I'm going to go rest this afternoon, that looks like me sitting in my lazy boy watching whatever's on TV. Well, maybe, but that's not what Jesus is telling them to do here. He tells them to watch. And literally the word watch just means keep awake. So do we know what time of day it is? Yeah, it's very close to midnight at this point. They've had a long day. Passover day was a long day. Think about the, the singular holiday that your family engages with that takes the most out of you. That's this. And then now let's keep you up till midnight and we're gonna take you to a dark place because you don't light candles in an olive grove. <laughs> All right. And we're going to tell you to stay awake. Say, we'll just pick a time between midnight and 1 a.m. Anybody going to have a bit of a challenge staying awake for this one? I, absolutely. Right. Even if there's something exciting on TV, sometimes it's hard to stay awake at this hour. So he tells them to watch. Now, the only other time in Mark's gospel, other than this passage here in chapter 14, that this word for watch shows up is back a couple of pages earlier in Mark 13. So I want to read these verses real quick. Mark 13, 32 to 37. So this is in the context of Jesus saying, you don't know when the Son of Man is returning. So but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. No foreshadowing at all to chapter 14 whatsoever here, right? I mean, yes, there is definitely a connectedness to what Jesus is saying in 13 and to what Jesus is saying in 14. 
He even tossed in the rooster crowing, lest we were not paying attention and seeing the connection between these two things, right? So when I talk about this word for remain and this word for watch being more than just that singular experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, I, I think there's something that Jesus is connecting them with the language here as well. All right, so remain and watch. And this word watch is a plural present active imperative. So this group ongoing standing order until Jesus rescinds that order. And he does actually rescind that order later on in chapter 14. And then verse 35, and going on a little farther. Now, who's with him now? Think before you answer this one. <laughs> who's with him now? What other human beings are with him now? Nobody else. But is he alone? He is not alone. No. And, and this is something that I think is absolutely beautiful about the life of Jesus. He's not alone, ever. Verse 35. And going a little farther, I have in my notes, Jesus is now alone. <laughs> Going a little farther, he fell on the ground. Now, if you look at the tense of this word fell, it's in the imperfect tense. What do we know about the imperfect tense? This is something that happens repeatedly. You're like, wait, what? He, he did this? Yes, he did this more than once. And I'll, I'll give you something else, too. The word for prayed is in the imperfect tense. He'd fall and he'd pray. He'd get up. He'd fall and he'd pray and he'd get up. He fall, he pray, and he get up. We don't know how many times he did it, but we know it was multiple. So this word for fall uh, is used in chapter four when Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. Uh, it's used in chapter five when Jairus uh, falls in front of Jesus. It's used in chapter nine when the little boy who had the demon, the demon would thrash him on the ground and he would fall. And then it's used in chapter thirteen when the stars from the heavens fall. This is literally a falling. This is not like some, well, he figuratively, no, 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 no. He hit the ground. This is what's happening here, right? He fell on the ground and prayed. That if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And there's a lot of debate about what this word pass means um, the word literally just means to come alongside or near, to approach, to go by, to perish or neglect, to avert. It means a lot of different things. It's a really flexible word. It's used in chapter 6 of Jesus on the water when the disciples thought that he was going to pass by them, which would have been the weirdest thing ever, right? It's like, well, he just walked on by. That's, I could have stopped or said hello, you know, but that's what they thought he was going to walk on by. Uh, in chapter 13, this is about heaven and earth passing away. So these words, in the context that they're used, did not mean, oh, we're going to circle back and get that again. It was a, no, 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 the, the intention, the thought here is to have this go, and I'm not coming back to it again. This is the context. So he's praying that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So what hour are we talking about? Just some random hour. He's like, well, it's 12 o'clock, so I pray 1 o'clock passes. Is he praying for daylight saving time here? 
Like we just passed the hour and we skip it out. No, 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 no. It's not just the worst joke ever, wasn't it? I shouldn't have said that. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, maybe this hour might pass. So we, we see this language in the scripture often that the day of Christ, the hour of his return, some it's tied to some activity. We would imagine that this is the crucifixion itself so that this hour might pass from him. And he said, all right, so hang on now. This doesn't happen on every page of the scripture where God talks to God. So if you want a model of family communication, you find the passages in the Bible where God talks to God. It's respect, it's love, it's engagement, it's compassion. I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable list of things, but it's a really cool study if you ever want to go do that. So verse 36, and he said, what's this said? What tense is it? It's imperfect as well. This was repeated. So Jesus said the same words to the Father multiple times. So he says, Abba. So under stress, under pressure, Jesus goes to his Father in the garden. Under stress, under pressure, Adam runs away from his father in the garden. The contrast could not be sharper than what we see right here. The second Adam is greater than the first, and I am so thankful. So verse 36, and he said, Abba, which means father, and then he says, Father. I'm reading a couple of different books right now on the Trinity. And um, it's interesting to think about a couple of things. One, what was God, what was the Trinity doing before earth was created, before the universe was made? The Father was loving the Son. The Son was submitting to the Father. And the Father was loving the Son by anointing him with the Spirit. And there was perfect unity. That's what the Trinity was doing. Before there were angels, before there was a heaven or earth, that's what the Trinity was doing. So it should not surprise us that the first words out of Jesus' mouth reflect the relationship that has been existing for, I don't even have the language now, all time, before time, beyond time, whatever it is. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So he starts with a declaration of the powerful nature of God himself. And then he says one of the strangest phrases in all the Bible. Remove. What's the... What, what, what is this word? This is a what? This is an imperative. He's commanding the Father to do something. Remove this cup from me. Now, this language, remove this cup from me, is a prayer. We know it's a prayer because Mark has just identified it earlier as a prayer. So prayers can be 
statements of fact. Prayers can be uh, requests for help. Prayers can be commands. I would encourage us to go very lightly on the commands. Right? I have not experienced a flawless, sinless life. I think I want to be very careful how I talk to my Heavenly Father in a commanding tone. I would argue Jesus is the only one that can use this kind of language this way. So let's, let's be very careful about how hard we push that gas pedal right there. We probably ought to pump the other pedal. So remove this cup. So is he talking about the physical cup that he's had in his pocket from Passover earlier in the day? No, he's not talking about the cup he's got in his pocket. He's not carrying a cup. It's not about the Holy Grail. This cup, if you look at the third definition, is his lot or his fate. We see this in 1038 and 1039. Are you able to drink from the cup from which I drink? Yes, we are able. Well, you will drink from it. You will be killed for me is what Jesus is talking about here. This is just a different way. This remove this cup from me is a different way to say this hour is passing. And we'll, I'll leave you on this phrase here. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That word for will is the word for wish that we have seen a couple of dozen times in Mark so far. So let me ask you a question. Was Jesus' prayer answered? I've got a yes. I've got a yes. I think it was an absolute yes, his prayer was answered. What was the answer to the prayer? No. The answer to his prayer was obedience is greater than personal preference. Because the 100% man didn't want to die the way that he knew he was about to have to die. The 100% God was going to be 100% submissive to the Father's will. And right in that wonky mix is where I want to leave you today. Because I want us to wrestle with this. This concept that Jesus was perfectly submissive even when he didn't get what he wished for. And if your head just went, then yay. <laughs> Welcome to inter-Trinitarian conversation. <laughs> it's amazing stuff. It's absolutely amazing stuff. So we'll stop there. We'll pick up, Lord willing, next week with verse 37. Um, and then we'll go from there. So your uh, weekly update. So your handout next week is the same uh, today as it will be next week. And you can get that on OurSundaySchool.com for those of you online. Uh, you've got your weekly update for today. So make sure you've got your names written at the bottom of the page. Make any updates to the prayer requests. Uh, pray over those. For those of you online, if you would uh, put in the comments any prayer requests that you have, we'd love to pray for you for those. And... Uh, next week, we'll come back and start with verse 37. And hopefully, we'll have wrestled a little bit with this conversation between the Son and the Father that both of them knew before the earth had been created was actually going to happen. So if you want your head to hurt even a little bit more, this is not like it was sprung on either one of them. I love this stuff. It's amazing. How great is our Jesus? He is great. So thanks for coming today, guys. I appreciate it.